0: I'm, not, I'm just, not a real, yeah. just not a real farmer. I'm just not a real, like, You're not harvester. a farm girl? <laughs> no, except for lately I decided that I used to hate the garden, but lately I've been deciding that maybe I want to be a <laughs> I used to garden hate the girl.
1: Garden. You want to be a garden girl?
0: I just thought that, I don't know, I think it's just because it's summer, I want to be outside, that sounds like... You could do it. ...kind of cute, you know?
1: You know, I've always wanted to live on a farm. Really? I really think it'd be my best <laughs> life.
0: Yeah, I think you'd thrive Like,
1: 4.30 a.m. mornings...
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, that's change so the water. Milk
1: and cat. Change the water. Is that what you do? See, I don't even know what you do. I you like
2: do the cows too. It depends on what you got. Because my my grandpa has oh, farm. Oh, TJ knows. So, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. Some, weekends, some weekends. you know, what I'm saying, put the hat on and everything. But yeah, we go out 4:30, change the water. I wouldn't. Oh. I would be in the truck, knocked out still. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, driving tractors, it's crazy.
1: Mm. Well, you y'all, all I'm saying well, yeah. is, if you have a farm and you want to invite me for a month or so, <laughs> I'm in.
0: Welcome to (laughs) This is Kingdom. This is Grace.
1: This is Talon. This is TJ. And this week, y'all, we're going to be talking about the talk The Imperfect Harvest by Elder Vern P. Stanfield. Grace, take it away.
0: So I'm just gonna start out, you would expect me to talk about harvesting because the name of this talk, but see, I'm unqualified as a farmer and TJ a gardener.
1: Could. TJ could talk all about it. <laughs> yeah,
0: TJ should have done this because he's actually a harvester. I am not, so I'm not gonna talk about that at all. I'm gonna, like it's gonna be completely like off. It's not gonna be about that at all. And you guys are just gonna have to be okay with that. And that's that. Um, I just barely got back from Israel like last week. It would have been, now this is out of order. Chronologically, but like at some point this summer, I got home from Israel. Okay. And in my life right now, it was last week. And while we were there, we did something called the Jesus Trail. And it's just pretty much it's the path that Jesus would have walked from his hometown in Nazareth to Capernaum or the Sea of Galilee area, which was where his ministry was. So it was like his hometown to his ministry. But what happened as we were walking is we had this guide that was Israeli, and she was like kind of talking to us, and she was like, Yeah um, lots of trading would have happened on the sea of Galilee. And so it wouldn't be crazy for Jesus to have walked this before he started his ministry. Like when he was growing up, it would have been like, that wouldn't be shocking if he would have walked this to like trade on the sea Mm. of Galilee. And she said it kind of as like a side note, which was a cool side note, but it kind of got me thinking like, if that wasn't the first time Jesus walked to the sea of Galilee, like maybe he was pretty familiar with that area Um, And if you remember, that is the area that all of his disciples like lived and they were fishermen there and they had their own different jobs there and all this stuff. And it made me wonder if maybe like I had always thought in my head, like the very first time that they ever met Jesus or ever heard of Jesus or ever even like knew him was like when they met him that day on the beach or wherever they met him. But it made me start thinking that like maybe Jesus had known them earlier than that day. And like, maybe he saw them like when they were in high school, like learning how to fish. And maybe he saw them when they were growing up, like on the Sea of Galilee, like when he went there with his dad to like trade. And it like, obviously, we have no idea, right? We don't know that part of the story. But it makes me think like, oh, like Jesus would have seen them in their most average years in their worst years, in the years when they were doing stuff in high school that everyone was like, get a hold of your kids. Like they are going (laughs) insane. Like they are the worst kids in the whole entire world. Like maybe Jesus saw them in those moments. He knew all of their past history. He knew everything about them. And he said, oh, actually that's who I want as my disciple. You know, like he knew their past. And it's interesting because um, a while ago I was like having this conversation with a friend and um he was really really struggling he um is dealing with a lot in his like in his life um he's gay trying to figure out his relationship with God and the church and lots of different aspects of that and um he was sitting we were like sitting in my living room we weren't even on the couch we were just like sitting on the floor and he just started crying and he just like the only thing he could say was like I am trying so hard like I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying so hard And um, I think sometimes we get really caught up in the end result and we get really caught up in the idea of like, I need to be this person. When in reality, like in the wisest words of the prophet, the Lord loves effort. He loves when you try. Like that boy sitting on my floor, like sobbing, saying like, I'm trying so hard to figure this out. That is it. That is what it looks like to be a disciple. He didn't choose his disciples for the end result. He didn't choose his disciples for like who they were in that very moment, their perfect selves. He said, actually, I have seen who you are.
1: You know what I think is such an interesting thing to think about is expectations. Like I actually think about expectations a lot and the effects that certain expectations have. Like, for example, if you have like a coach or a parent with like zero expectations a lot of times you don't end up becoming your best self, like you don't actually reach your potential, right? And then I think we've all heard of parents or coaches that have too high of expectations, and everybody like in that like everybody involved with that like ends up having all this anxiety right and all this frustration, and like they end up feel like they're never good enough. And I think it's so important for us to learn um, to align our expectations with God's. And I realized like on my mission, it like said there's something to preach in the gospel that says missionary work should be the most satisfying thing. And I was like, why are there a lot of missionaries that aren't satisfied then? Cause I knew a lot that weren't. And the biggest thing that I realized is I think a lot of times we put our expectations for ourselves higher than God's expectations. I want to ask you guys a question based off like scripture, based off like what you've learned about God. You already know us, Kevin, TJ. What what would you say God's expectations are?
2: Okay, I got so excited as both of you guys are talking, and then I thought of a story, and then I love your question because the story is my favorite expectation story. And, it's, and, and you brought it up yesterday or the other day, Alma 8, right? Mm. Where Alma's trying to do some... Uh, some missionary work in Ammonihah, oh, and it's this is so cool, story. it's so cool because he comes from, uh, I think is the people of Gideon and Alma 7, and they're just solid, and we get really good verses because I think he's kind of preaching to the choir, and he's like coming off like, uh, you know, feeling good, he's like, man, this mission thing, it's nice, and then he goes to Ammonihah, man, and they, man, they're spitting on him, they're mad at him, they're like, you, could, you don't have authority over us, like, get out of here, they literally kick, kick him out of their city, and um, but what's important to note is that he goes in with the expectation. It says in a verse, he he prays, and he has this expectation that he's going to um, baptize people, like baptize a ton of people. And so he goes in, and so obviously he leaves not having that expectation met, and he's like so depressed, and he's so weighed down. And then. Um bump but the angel comes, right? The angel comes out of nowhere. The sa- oh, I just love the story, man. I love these scriptures. Like the same angel mm. that smacked him up in the first place, that mm. knocked him out for three days. The same one comes back. Like you just think of that reunion, like probably hugged and like,
3: man, like what's
2: going on, bro? <laughs> like, and uh the angel reminds him of something really important and he reminds him of the expectation. Mm. He reminds him. Um, you have great reason to rejoice, for you have been keeping the commandments of God. Mm. And, and I think the big like heavy hitter in this story is that Alma had to change his, his expectations from just going and teaching and baptizing everybody to keeping the commandments of God. Because what happens once he, once he readjusts those expectations, he turns around and he runs back. Mm. He runs back to the city. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. He doesn't know what's going on, but he knows, I'm keeping God's commandments. And I'm going to get back in that city.
1: Okay, I have About a comment and a question. Because I, my comment is, isn't it the coolest thing to think? The first city he goes to, he blesses so many lives. So many people change their lives. The second city, nobody changes their lives. But God sees what he did as the exact same. Mm-hmm. Like God's just as proud as the first city as he is the second city. I'm mm-hmm. like, that's such a cool thought. Because sometimes we're like, oh, that was a failure. And God's like, no, like you went all out. <laughs> Like you gave it all you got. Like I'm hyped about that, you know. Um, and I love what you're saying about the commandments. This is my question though: What would you want to say to people that are like, I can't meet that expectation? Like I can't always be living these commandments. Like I'm constantly feeling short, falling short, and I'm constantly like feeling like trash because of it.
0: Mm. Um. I don't know why my mind right now is like going so much to discipleship. And I think actually the reason it is, is because I feel like that's when we start like the fight against perfectionism is because all of a sudden we're like, okay, well, I see what they look like as a disciple. And I know that like, I want to give it my all. And I want to be really good. And he expects so high of me that I want to live up to that perfectly. And I just keep going back to these like ideas of discipleship and like Peter as a disciple and like Jesus seeing like, who he was and then even watching Peter as a disciple. Um, And then we look at my friend that was sitting on the middle of my living room floor, like sobbing, like just like saying over and over, like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Even that story of Alma, like we just like go through all of these things. We like see discipleship so clearly. And um, it's interesting because I thought about this one time on my mission and I was struggling so, so hard. And I think it's because I had this idea of like, oh, like I need to be perfect. Like I need to be really good. And I was trying so, so hard. Like I was like giving it my all. And what happened is, um, there was this one random P day that I got an email and I hadn't told a lot of people that I was struggling. And it was just kind of like, I was like just trying to figure it out. And I didn't really act like it was a big deal because that's not really like my, it's not really, I don't try to, I, I don't know. That's just my personality that I'd rather just like Actually, like my life is really good, even though it's falling absolutely apart. And I got this email and it was from one of my very best friends in the whole world. And it just said, I'm not kidding. Don't lose an ounce of hope ever. Sometimes I do. So that's hypocritical. But I just think that you need to know that today, know that today, that God just notices every good thing you ever do. All the times you give 170% and maybe people only think that you're giving 70. God sees the 170 he knows and it goes somewhere. It doesn't just disappear into thin air when the day ends or the transfer ends or when your mission ends that I know. And also just know that Jesus is so, so happy. And, um, I like read that email and I like sat on my kitchen floor in the middle of my apartment in Sacramento, California. And I wept. And, um, I think that that is what he would say is when everyone else looks at you and is like, oh, they're not even doing that good. Or, oh my gosh, like they're falling apart. Or why are they making all these stupid decisions? Like, why are they doing that over and over and over again? I think that he would look at you and say, oh, I see you giving your whole heart to me right now. Like, Peter, I see you trying so hard. And even though you sunk in the waves, like I saw your heart when you jumped out of the boat. I knew that that took 170%. And oh, my friend that was sitting on my living room floor sobbing, like when everyone else is looking at you and is like, oh, why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? And why is he making that choice right now? Like, oh, wait, no, no, no. Listen, I see you giving 170%. I see you trying to figure this out. And oh, when you're in that terrible area and it works so well and you're not baptizing and you feel like that's your responsibility to be baptizing. Oh, don't worry. Everyone else might think you're a failure, but I see the 170%. And I think that that's what I would say is like, oh, like we get really caught up in what other people think the expectation of us is. And I think if he looked at us, he would just be like, "Wait, I love your effort. I love what you did today. I see you're 170 percent, even when everyone else thinks you're given 30." No.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite quotes to end, it's either Christofferson or Anderson. Don't, don't judge me because I can't remember who. But he said, we don't believe in a gospel of justification. We don't believe in a gospel of perfectionism. We believe in a gospel of redemption. Like we believe in a savior that if you give him your heart, you stay committed to him. You give him your best effort. Man, he makes he makes wonders out of that. Like he makes that enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. There's this one line in this talk that like makes me want to weep. It's actually two lines. I just lied to you. Um, regardless of how insignificant our efforts may seem, if we are sincere, the Savior will use us to accomplish his work. If we simply do the best we can and trust him to make up the difference, we can become part of the miracles that surround us. And if I were going to like challenge you to do anything, if I was going to like say like, oh like it would just be like be a part of the miracles and give it your 100%. All you have to do is try. That's it. What are you going to try to do today?
3: We are part of a family. There's a role we all play. Everyone has a purpose. All united in his name. There is strength in our numbers, with our hearts intertwined, moving forward together in the body of Christ. light to the nations, spreading hope through every land. With our arms wide open, as a chorus we cry, there is room, come and join us. In the body of Christ, there is room, come and join us. In the body of Christ.
0: See you next week.